Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and this is the Sower's Seat Pod Podcast. Hey, thanks for tuning into the Sower's Seed Pod Podcast. I am your host, Gordon Dean, and I want to talk to you about failure in the process of spreading seeds. This is one of those things that tends to get Christians very discouraged from time to time. In fact, dare I say, even depressed. And it's kind of frustrating. And and, and if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to share with you a, a personal experience. I had a friend years ago. His name was Justin. I actually met him through work. And this guy was, to say the least, he was a character. Um, and I don't mean like the guy that would show up to work wearing the clown wig and the red rubber nose, but you still, though, never knew what was about to come out of his mouth. And it might be professional, or it might just absolutely sound like something he scraped off the bottom of a dumpster. But there was never a dull moment with this guy. And like many of us, Justin had plenty of issues. One of which, of course, being that he wasn't saved. Um, and additionally, he suffered horribly from bipolar depression. And so later on in the years, even when he and I weren't working together uh, for, I mean, years after we weren't working together, we still kept in contact, not just through social media. We weren't just Facebook friends. We were actually... <sighs> I'll use the word friends, um, not, I mean, again, just to clarify, not to the point that he had ever been to my home, unfortunately. I'd invited him a couple of times, but we were never able to connect. And we had a number of discussions about God. And it was frustrating, we'll say. Because Justin, being very intelligent, um, had a stance that he he wanted to believe in God, but he couldn't because he was too smart to do so. Now, again, keep in mind, this has been over several years of numerous discussions, but that's literally what it boiled down to. I want to believe in God, but I'm just too smart to do so. And the interesting thing was it didn't really matter to him what arguments, what evidence, or even just suggestions of things that should at least allow for the understanding that there might be a different explanation for it. Never got through to this guy. Now, he also, by the way, was able to keep these discussions not just friendly. The man actually would occasionally seek me out to have these discussions, not because he wanted a fight, but because he just wanted to have a discussion about it.
And I know personally for a fact that when he died, he was not saved. I, I know that this is the truth. And it broke my heart. And I agonized for a very long time when I learned about his death that maybe I should have done more. Maybe I should have presented him with more scripture. Maybe I should have prayed harder for him. And maybe, maybe, maybe I should have, maybe I shouldn't have. What if I'd have done this differently? What if I'd have done that differently? And then just about the point that I was genuinely beginning to get so worked up over blaming myself for the fact that he died in sin. God's word, as it often does, came screaming through to me. And, and basically, what it, what it told me was that not everybody is going to be saved. Not everybody is going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And while I understood that on, I guess, a, a mental or psychological level up before this point, I wasn't able to truly internalize what that meant. Because up to that point, I'd always thought about, you know, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd pictured in my head, like, say, tribes in... Uh, remote locations that are completely untouched by technology and, and have never heard about the word or people who've never been invited to church or people like Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. It never really occurred to me up to this point that this also applied to the people that I would witness to. Normal people, everyday people, people that I just come across and share the good word with. And I didn't know what to do with that realization. Because there was a part of me that then immediately wanted to say, well, look, if, if not everybody's going to be saved, and, and the ones that are going to be saved are destined to be saved, it's, it's all part, it's already been laid out, it's part of the plan, why am I wasting my time banging my head up against a wall when 
it's not going to do any good. And I struggled with that for a little bit. And then I had the realization that would, I think, ultimately lead to where I'm at right now. The, the, the realization that I think started this whole, well, this whole ministry. And yes, sometimes it's hard for me to admit that this is in fact a ministry. I mean, I got to be honest, folks, I, if I can just give you a moment of, of just laying myself out there raw, sometimes I still have doubts about what I'm doing, that I'm not worthy to be the guy you listen to. And that you might think that I'm trying to do this for my own glorification and not God's. As a result of the fact that I, I can't even wrap my head around being a minister, small m, it is therefore very difficult for me to refer to what I'm doing as a ministry. But that having been said, that that moment of clarity that I had after Justin passed, when I struggled with, you know, what what's the point? Why do I do this? Was when God came to me and said to me, almost, not quite, I don't hear voices, but what was said to me was as clear as you are hearing my voice right now that said, that's not for you to decide. Gordon, you don't get to decide who I will and who I will not be welcoming into heaven. Your job is not to try to figure out what that person's spiritual destiny is. Your job is to go out and sow the seeds of my word. You let me take care of watering those seeds. Of course, obviously, that's kind of how this whole thing got started. And again, I, I actually, I fought that for years. Years, I fought that. Not necessarily the idea that we should be sharing our testimony or our faith. That wasn't a problem. But the seed that was planted in me on that day begin to grow and germinate, take roots, put on leaves. But it wasn't putting on fruit. And I, I begin more and more to feel the call to minister to others, 
not just from the standpoint of sharing my testimony with anybody who will ask or who will listen, but to begin deliberately scattering seeds as far as I possibly could. Because again, as I mentioned earlier, I, I could never wrap my head around the fact that this could be God's calling for me. At no point did it occur to me that it doesn't matter what kind of doubts or misgivings I might have about my being a fit podcaster I kept trying to tell myself that God uses the most unlikely of people to bring glory to himself. But it wasn't until I began podcasting that God said, there you go. Thank you, son. You keep doing this. At any rate, the big issue that I was struggling with really was that not everybody is is going to actually accept Jesus and, and be saved. And of course, you know, obviously, the, the big example that Jesus gave is the one that I've named my ministry after, and that's the, the parable of the seed sower, when he says that, you know, the, the, the seed of my word will fall on paths that are hardened hearts, and the devil, or the birds, will come and snatch that away. So what do we do with that? Well, we go out and we keep doing it. But the question becomes, why? Why do people reject the word? When, for those of us that follow God, I mean, and, and genuinely, I don't, again, I don't mean the folks that post Christian memes on their their social media pages alongside the whole, I project this uh, positivity out into the universe and, uh, you know, uh, Confucius says that, ain't, that it... I'm talking about genuine Christians, not people who are going to add a little bit of Jesus as fire insurance. I'm talking about Christians. We Christians have an understanding of Scripture that is only given to us by the Holy Spirit. But why is that? Well, part of it, look, I'm going to tell you, part of it's because we spend more time in Scripture than most others will. Another reason is that Christians have already accepted the truth of the Bible, and so it's easier for us to, to read and internalize and, and to, to apply it to our lives because we've already accepted that it is the truth.
some would tell you it's because we've already drank the Kool-Aid. However you want to look at it, I acknowledge the fact that the scripture is easier to internalize, easier to understand, and easier to rely upon if, in fact, you've already internalized and relied upon it. It's self-feeding, and I'm not going to deny that. It's the truth. But do you know what else the scripture tells us about the truth? It tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not the be-all, end-all, but the beginning of knowledge. And that same verse says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I mean, let's we can sit and break that down 38 ways to Saturday. The fact of the matter is... that the fear of the Lord is where you need to start with this. And I don't mean fear as in I am afraid of God. The The word fear is used in Scripture partially because it, it is my belief that partially because the original languages, plural, in which the Bible was written does not always allow for a clean translation to English. And we know that this is the case. For example, when Christ is on the, the cross and he says, it is finished, the language from which this came actually has a number of tenses for the past tense finished. But English only has one past tense, one present, one future. That's not true of all languages. Now, that having been said, the fear of the Lord is where somebody needs to start. You can't, you can't do anything more than read the words on the page. If God has not put something in your heart that is going to make it real to you, Now, why is that? Well, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, First um, Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen, I, I think uh, really kind of sums up the why not very clearly. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the things of God are not the words that are written on a page. In much the same way that you would say to somebody at a funeral, I'm so sorry for your loss. You may have meant that with every fiber of your being. The pain that you're feeling from 
this person experiencing loss. You don't even have to have known the person that passed away. I mean, I, I still feel pain from the passing of people that I've never met because of the pain that people that I love still carry with them because of it. But you can say to somebody at a funeral, I, I, I'm so sorry for your loss, and you can mean it in a very deep and emotional way, but the person that is receiving those words only hears empty, empty cans, empty, empty words. Because they're not able to process that as it was intended to come across at that point in time. That does not mean that later they won't be able to. In this case, what, what Paul is saying is that Scripture is spiritual. It, it, is, it is breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God so that it could be written down. The contents of it speak to our souls, not to our brains, not to our hearts, but to our souls, our spirit. And this is why the natural person will not accept the things of the Spirit of God, because they do not speak to our bodies. And that's one of the reasons, you know, I've, I've made this other analogy before. It's one of the reasons why we get into conflict between what we know we should be doing in God and what our, our natural instinctual impulses are. And that's been a struggle that has literally been going on since the very beginning. Now, again, speaking to those of you who are sitting there listening and thinking, but why can't these people see? I mean, what, what can I do to, to, to get them to see what I see and to understand what I know in my heart? Well, again, Paul says the word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God. So again, there's, there's a completely different perspective. And unfortunately, it's not one that you can communicate, at least not even remotely in whole, maybe just a, a light shred of it. I'm sure, you, again, you've heard me and my impassioned please. You need to understand that no matter how bad things get here, I promise you that if you can trust in God to see you through it, that the outcome will always be so much better than anything that you go through to get from here to there. But if you're a Christian and you've genuinely experienced that, you understand that what I'm saying is a pale reflection of what the truth really is. And there's no way for us to be able to truly communicate that to the world if they view the message of the gospel of the cross as being foolishness. Because let's be honest, there's nothing about any of this that makes sense 
in the human world that somebody could have committed a crime even before they had the knowledge to discern good and evil, that they were sinners, that they had broken the law of God just, just by being human, because we use that as a justification. Well, I'm only human. Well, that's true. But this thing about about God's law not making sense to us is because it doesn't. It makes no sense for the way that the 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 mind works, the world works, the body works. There's nothing about this that makes any sense. And we we even say that this is a matter of justice. But what is to us what is just about somebody else paying the penalty for my crimes? That's why we call it God's justice. God placed his justice on us, but he also gave us the ability to accept that the price has already been paid. The fine has been paid. There are just a lot of folks that don't know it because they can't wrap their head around the fact that somebody else would have paid their fine. So again, folks, it's it's not our job to just sit back and say, well, God's going to save who he's going to save. Because here's the thing that you don't quite get. And again, I've used the the example of the parable of the seed sower. You don't know where that seed's going to land, and you don't know what kind of harvest is going to come from that seed. That's that's all on God. But that's not the only example that God gives us in Scripture about why we should be doing this and doing it faithfully. Luke chapter 13 says, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? This is Jesus speaking. Jesus himself. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, as is often the case, there's there's some contextual aspects to this that were directed specifically at the people who heard the words coming from Jesus' mouth at that time. But the overarching message is that we are to spread his word like leavening. If you don't know what leavening is, it's when you make bread, you make a dough, and if you don't put leavening in it, all you're going to end up with is flat, hard bread. Yeah, maybe not hard. It depends on how good you are at cooking it. But unleavened bread is actually a real thing. Just ask your Jewish friends. But if you want it to turn into a, a fluffy loaf, you have to add leavening to it. Usually, It's, in, it's usually yeast of some kind, 
but not always. So we put just a little bit of leaven in there, but as you continue to mix things up, that leaven will get distributed throughout the entire bowl of flour. And from that, you can produce not just one big puffy loaf and two half flat rock hard loaves, but you will instead produce three big fluffy loaves. Because it only takes a little bit of leavening to get through the entire batch of flour to have an effect throughout the entire recipe. So the takeaway from this is, folks, look, if you're out there evangelizing and you're sharing your, your testimony, and, I, and, and look, I understand, not everybody is going to be standing on a street corner with a Bible in one hand and a sign in the other, screaming, the end is near, you must repent. This is not what I'm talking about. But I need you to understand that you can't just become discouraged when one person rejects your testimony or wants to try to convince you that, as they believe, there is no God, because you know better. You can't just sit back and say, well, you know what? That didn't work. I'm done. That is not what we are called to do in general. We are called to share our testimony, to share the word of God and to make much of Jesus. And so it is our responsibility to do so because while his word may seem like foolishness to the world, while the message of the cross may seem like folly to the world, there are bowls of flour out there that your leavening needs to be spread through, and you may not see the end result of that. But believe me that God will apply the heat that will cause that dough to rise if you will just spread your leavening around. You don't get to make the call about who God will and will not save. That's not even for you to think about. Because remember, this is about God's will, not yours. So the hard truth is that because the road that leads to salvation is very narrow. It's behind a small door. And not very many people are going to go through that door and continue on that narrow path. Because the wide path that leads to destruction, the gate is flung wide open. There is no hindrance to it whatsoever. We are born on that path. And it's comfortable for many people. And 
not everybody is going to leave that path. But that doesn't mean that you stop inviting people to your path. This has been the Sower Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean. God bless.